And let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Last week we started talking about the fact of we are to be sanctified, and we looked at Romans 8.29. This week we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5. But last week, as we, we observed, there were to be changed in the image of Christ, and this process is called sanctification. We examined the definition of sanctification and the parts of sanctification. Remember, we looked at the past, that we are free from the penalty of sin, right? And then we looked at the present, the freedom from the power of sin, and then the future is the freedom from the pe- presence of sin. And then we also examined the purpose of sanctification. But tonight, I want to start a lesson on being wholly sanctified. So the Apostle Paul writes here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, he says, the very God of peace sanctify you, what's the next word? Holy. Not partially, but holy. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul points out that we're to be sanctified in spirit, soul, and body. Now, we are a tripartite being, and this verse tells us we're body, soul, and spirit. So, and that may be just a little on the small side. I tried to make it big, and those that have taken Pentateuch class have seen these slides before, similar slides anyhow. But you got the body. That is represented by the square. That's probably not quite the shape of mine. Mine's probably the round. But anyhow, the square is the body. The body is the vehicle that carries you around. The body is flesh and blood, and it wears out, and it has pains and aches and all kinds of things. But it is the vehicle that carries me around, right? The soul is the mind, will, and emotions represented by the circle. The mind, will, and emotions. The you inside of you, right? The you that really is the real you. And then the spirit is the God-worshipping part of us. Now, animals don't have that third part. They're bipartite. Man originally was created by God with these three parts. But after the fall, you see a difference because we had the body, soul, and spirit because we were walking with God. We were, Adam and Eve had a fellowship with God. But sin broke that, and you see a body, soul, and a spirit devoid, or the Holy Spirit, rather. And all of Adam's offspring are born this way, right? But once we're saved, we now have the indwelling spirit in us. And I picture it this way, because yes, we get all the Holy Spirit, but how much of us does he have? You see, that little part at the bottom represents, am I fully submitted to him or am I not? And if I'm not, I still am holding on to me, right? And so this is what we're talking about, being sanctified in spirit, is is that I have to be yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the spirit, the spirit of man was dead, right? And trespasses and sins. Hold your place here in Thessalonians, put a marker there, 
And let's go over to Ephesians chapter 2 for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. What's the word quickened mean? Made alive. Wherein in time past you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, but the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation, or our manner of living, in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace he is saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit in, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace he is saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto, God, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So every human being has within them an innate desire to worship. Even the atheist still has a desire to worship. Now they claim there's no God, but they still worship something. And we have to be careful, Christian, that we don't allow idols into our lives. Now what is an idol? Well, 1 Corinthians 12.2 says, You know that you were Gentiles carried away under those dumb idols, even as you were led. You know, I was reading in the Psalms today, and it's talking about the dumb idols that, you know, they have hands, but they can't feel anything, can't do anything, eyes can't see, ears can't, you know, but they can't hear. And it goes through all this description, and because they're, they're dumb. But what is an idol? Well, an idol is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. Now, we think of idols as, you know, you've been in houses where probably somebody has a Buddha or, you know, some kind of other idol, some whether it's carved out of rock or stone or, or wood or something of that nature. That's what we think of as idols. But anything that takes the place of God in our lives can be an idol. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, and to walk his ways, and love him, and serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Now, the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, whatever you want to call them, those people had turned from idols to God. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, For they themselves show us what manner of entering we, in we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. But as we look around, we say, well, preacher, people don't have idols today. Well, what are some of the idols that we have actually here in the 21st century America? Cell phones can become an idol. Absolutely. What else? Money, recreation, sports, vehicles. Okay, you get the idea. Even to my own body can become an idol, can it not? How, many do, how much self-worship do we see in our society today? You know, it's interesting, one mentioned celebrities. A couple months back, I decided to watch the news. Maybe I was in a waiting room somewhere and they had the news on. 
It used to be they put a person on there and they would tell you the facts of what happened and then you were to make the judgment of the facts. But now the news, and I couldn't believe it, they said, well, celebrity so-and-so thinks that their opinion, and they put up their, you know, their post from their social media up there as if that is news, as if their opinion actually matters. And I'm like, who cares? And like, you know, but they continue on. And then this celebrity said this about this, and this celebrity said this about it. It's like, you got to be kidding me. You're reporting this as if this is news. This is people's opinion. And you know what? Their opinion is not worth any more than your opinion or mine. So then how are we sanctified in the Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, in a very familiar passage, starting at verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the, earth, or post of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. You see, when we get a proper view of God and who he is, we're going to get a proper view of who I am. As Isaiah saw the holiness of God, he understood the sinfulness of self. And as you and I focus on the holy God that we serve, having a fear of him, having a proper respect in all of who he is, and the greater we understand the holiness of God, the more we see how sinful we are. The more I understand the power of God, the more weak I realize myself to truly be. When I think of the omnipotent power, the creative power, the power that spoke these worlds into existence, the power that as the Son of God stood on the bow of that ship, he just says, shh, be quiet, and the storm stops immediately. That had to be amazing. When we get to heaven, I don't know how it's going to work, but I hope there's video that I want to see that one. <laughs> when I understand the greatness of God, I understand how small I am. Had opportunity last night to speak at, at the Coastal Carolina Taxpayers Association, and they asked me to uh, speak on the Christian's responsibility with government and I shared with them what I shared with you before from Exodus 18 on biblical principles for whom to vote. And I said last night, and it was interesting watching the responses, because, you know, the world teaches we're innately good, right? And I said, you know, every one of us is a sinner. I said, we are innately evil. We're innately bad. You should have seen some of the looks on the people's faces who have adopted the humanism, looking at me like I just fell off my rocker. But let's go back to our passage, and we'll finish up here in 1 Thessalonians. So we're talking about being sanctified in spirit. Being sanctified in spirit. So it starts with a proper view of God having to fear the Lord, 
Then let's go through this passage. Go back to verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even even as also ye do. Part of being sanctified in the Spirit is looking to edify, build up other Christians. Christian, we are not in a competition with each other. We are not comparing ourselves among each other. We are here to, we should honestly esteem other better than self. And we should look for opportunities to encourage, build up one another, not tear down. The world loves to tear each other down. It is amazing to me how the world tears each other down in so many ways. Coworkers who want to make their coworker look bad so that they can try to look good. You know, in politics, it's amazing to me, those that have been on and serving in politics for years, when somebody decides to run, they're like, well, you have no experience. And I just want to say to them, well, 25 years ago, when you first started, you didn't have experience either, buddy, you know? Or the one that my son and I had to deal with recently, you two don't deserve to be on the board because you don't pay taxes, because you're both renters. Okay. You're not landowners, so you don't deserve to be on this board. I thank God for grace, and I don't say some of the things I would like to say sometimes. (laughs) That's not how we're supposed to treat one another, Christian. But rather, we should be looking at opportunities saying, you know what? When somebody gives you a word of encouragement, say, I really appreciate that. Thank you. When somebody does something kind or whatever, you know, it's... Let them know. You build them up. When you see somebody having a bad day or they're discouraged over something or they share a burden with you, take some time to pray with them. Let them know how much that you're trying to help them carry that burden. Edify. Build up. Then verses 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Esteem spiritual leadership. Let me tell you, it is a pleasure and a privilege to serve in a church that you all really take care of me and my family, and I thank you for it. But that is proper for a church to do. Verses 14 and 15. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil, for evil under any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So we need to treat others appropriately. Now I want you to go back and look at verse 14 again. Exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Now, that means we need to have a little bit of discernment in how to deal with others, doesn't it? Because not everybody is unruly. But you know what we tend to do? We give that stern warning. Well, what if they are not one of the unruly, but they're one of the feeble-minded or one of the weak? If you give a stern warning to one that is weak, what are you going to do? You're going to destroy them. You're going to tear them down. Because that is not the appropriate response at that time. Now, we have to ask God for Holy Spirit discernment in dealing with situations. Now, I understand, and and I don't mean this to sound cliche or to sound stereotypical, okay, because I did serve with the Marines for two years, but I understand, you know, 
Marines especially, are trained that every situation, when somebody messes up, you better make a fool of the one that messed up, right? Pretty much, that's how we were taught to deal with every situation. That does not work in the Christian realm. It works in the Marine Corps because it is what it is. But it doesn't work outside and doesn't work with families, doesn't work in a church, but comfort the feeble-minded. So that means sometimes instead of a stern warning, some need a little comfort. You know, men, it's okay to cry with somebody. It's okay to give somebody a hug when they need it. It's okay to offer comfort. It's okay to offer those words of encouragement. And let me tell you something. There are times when words are just, there's nothing to say. I think I shared with you before, I know I have, but years ago, the very first funeral I did, I was in college, and one of our co-workers committed suicide. His name was Gary, and to the best of my knowledge, Gary had never accepted Christ. I had several opportunities to talk with him because we worked together in sporting goods for several years, and so I'm sitting with his parents. To the best of my knowledge, their son is now in hell. And he was in his late 20s, I think, maybe early 30s. His daughter and his mother, I think, are the ones that found him. And, you know, some of the phrases we use, like it was the Lord's time, they're in a better place, none of these fit. And so I sat there with this mom and dad, and I just cried with them. What else was I supposed to do? And I felt helpless. I felt like I'm accomplishing absolutely nothing here. And afterward, like, thank you so much. It meant so much to us for you being here. They needed the comfort. And then support the weak. Be patient toward all men. I think that one's the key. Because you know what? We all have different personalities, don't we? And sometimes our personalities, because of our different backgrounds, our different education, our different whatever our different way of handling things, sometimes we may say or do something that brushes somebody the wrong way, like petting a cat's fur the wrong way, and we need to learn to be patient with one another. A couple weeks ago, I was at a banquet uh, for the Havelock Pregnancy Resource Center, and a preacher there who I know uh, in this area, his name is Jim Hendricks, not Jimmy Hendricks, and no, he doesn't play guitar, um, went to a one of our fellow commissioners and asked her what church he goes to and she responded and he goes oh i'm sorry now he meant it as a total joke because he pastors another church in the area and he even laughed afterward because he knows the pastor of that church and he they're good friends and he was just being funny she came to me a week later and said i can't believe him I am still offended that he would say such a thing. I was like, and I called her by name and I said, he honestly meant it as a joke. Well, it didn't come across that way. I offended a guy here once, more than once. But this particular case, (laughs) this particular case I'll share with you, okay? We among services banter all the time, right? We had a Coast Guardsman visiting here and his friend brought him and I'm talking to him, and I 
we're, we're talking a little bit, and then he says something about being in the Coast Guard, and I said something about being a puddle pirate, and he just got quiet. And now I expected him to throw something back, calling me an anchor clanker or whatever, you know, I mean, because that's what we do, right? We banter with each other. Well, his friend came back to me a week or so, maybe a month later, and said, by the way, he was highly offended that you called him a puddle pirate. I was like, really? I mean, he was over six foot tall, so when the boat did sink, he could have walked ashore. But anyhow, <laughs> see, we do it all the time. But I, I had to realize that different people need to be treated differently. There are the feeble-minded, there are the weak, there are the unruly, but we have to be patient with all and careful in our speech. And let me tell you something, you all know I'm a jokester. You know how hard it is when we get an Air Force guy or a Coast Guardsman in here, not to want to say something right away, but I learned my lesson. I get to know him first and then, Ed, I lay into him. (laughs) But let me ask a question. Now let's take that the reverse. If one is unruly and you are trying to comfort them or trying to support them, how's that going to go? It's not going to go very well, is it? They need the stern warning. And let me tell you, God will give the discernment to know the difference. And it's not that hard most times. All right, let's move on. Verse 16. We are to be joyful. Philippians 4.4, 4, that was the song we were going to sing tonight. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. But when I lose my joy, you know how I can gain my joy real fast? Focus on Calvary. Focus on Christ. Think of what he's done for me. Should that not bring joy? Should not focusing on Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection bring joy to our hearts? Now, I don't know what happened this Sunday... But I felt like everybody was falling asleep Sunday. I mean, here we are preaching about the resurrection of Christ, and I don't know, maybe it was just me, but I felt like everybody out there was fast asleep, and I'm like, this should be something to get excited about. Verse 17, pray. Read the next two words. Pray without ceasing. Does God care about every aspect of your life? So do you take everything to God in prayer? Everything to God in prayer. Pray without ceasing, taking everything to Him in prayer. Christian, I think we could do a whole lot less worrying, a whole lot more praying, and we'd be a lot better off. Take everything to Him in prayer. Verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now again, how many things are we supposed to be thankful for? All things. And then verse 19, quench not the Spirit. Continue to yield to the Spirit of God. Do not reject His leading. Verse 20, despise not prophesying. Continue to listen to the preaching of God's Word. You know, so many say, I do not need to be in church to worship God. No, but you need to be in church to be obedient to God. Because He said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a man or some is, but exhorting one another And so much more as you see the day approaching. Well, we're still talking about the Spirit being sanctified in the Spirit, having a true worship of God, a true fear of God, a true walk with God. Have a clear conscience before God. 1 Timothy 3.9, holding the mystery to faith in a pure conscience. 
a conscience that convicts and does not excuse sin. The preaching of the Word should bring conviction once in a while. And then how do we deal with that conviction? Are we walking with a clear conscience before God? Because where the focus of the Spirit is, the soul and body will follow. And so I wanted to show these slides yet tonight. The humanistic view of life says, I need to have the right feelings. I need to find what makes me feel right. Because if I find what makes me feel right, then that's going to be followed up by what? My right actions. Because I'm going to act upon my feelings, and so what makes me feel right is going to lead me to the right actions. Is this not what the world teaches? And when I am doing the right things, then I'm going to think right, and then it, my whole belief system is based on all my feelings, and it's kind of all backwards. And when I show you God's view, it'll make more sense. God's view of life is beliefs first. Worship of God first. What you believe matters. And be what, based on what you truly believe is going to manifest itself in the way you think. And the way you think is going to show itself in your actions. And when you're acting correctly, you're going to feel good about it. You see, feelings, and, and we'll, let me talk more about this in the uh, Avoiding Confusion series. Feelings are a byproduct, right feelings are a byproduct of doing the right things, which comes from thinking correctly, which comes from believing the right things. That makes sense? So if we want to be sanctified in the Spirit, then we need to go all the way back to being in the Word of God and making sure what we believe is the way God wants us to do it. Because if God is our Creator, which He is, He's the one that designed us, He's the one that has the plan for living, then doesn't it make sense following his plan will have the right thinking, the right actions, and we could feel good about doing so. We'll have the right feelings in, doing, in the process of it, right? But when you flip this whole thing around, as humanism teaches, that my feelings are the foundation, then my actions based on that, but it made me feel good, and my thinking's all wrong, because my actions are wrong, and it leads to a whole mess of strange beliefs. They don't build a right foundation. So we got to, in sanctifying the Spirit, have the right foundation of the Word of God. Then the following week, I'll come back, Lord willing, and we'll talk about sanctified in the soul, and then the following week after that, sanctified in the body, which will follow when we take care of the Spirit. That's why we're starting there.